All right, well, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Exodus chapter 7. And um, we're going to actually cover a pretty large swath of Scripture here this morning. And generally, we're going to take the next 30 minutes or so, and um, we're going to look at the 10 plagues. Woo! 10 plagues. That's great. We're going to... Um, we're going to look at Moses and the ten plagues, and we've been taking the past few weeks to point to Moses being the man, and now God is going to execute his plan through, uh, through Moses and, and through um, the ten plagues. Um, and I want you to think about um, the ten plagues through this lens. Um, when the power of God um, is, is made present, right? When the power of God works, um, it does something to us. We see how, how big and how great he is. Um, but I want you to ask this question this morning. Why, uh, why do you obey? I mean, why would you obey God? What are, you, what are your true motivations for doing that? Um, I, know, I know obedience is such a broad topic in um, I think all of us struggle with it in different ways. I was watching a, um, I caught the last few minutes of a, a, a Little League game, and I saw this one catcher, and normally the catchers are pretty, uh, are some of the most heady of the baseball players, and uh, this pitcher uh, came into the game, and I could tell he thought he was pretty good, and the team was doing pretty well, and, and I think the pitcher thought he knew what he was doing, uh, but it came to this one part where there were a few men on base, and I could tell the catcher was... Um, he was signaling for a fastball, and uh, the the pitcher was like, "No, no," and then and, and I could, the catcher was like, he put a one down again, and the pitcher was like, "Mm mm mm mm." I mean, it was very obvious, like, "No, no, I'm not." And then, um, you know, and you kind of saw the the catcher shrug and be like, "Okay," and he puts a three down change up. So so, and the and the pitcher all of a sudden got real happy, like, "Yeah, that's the pitch I want to throw." And this kid throws a change up, and this guy hits a missile to the fence, right? And then you just see the pitcher go like, why did you make me throw that? You know, like, like why did you not, like, do something to me, even though it was my act of disobedience, right, to, to change the outcome? And I thought, man, that, that is me, right, with Jesus so many times. That is me with God. He gives me a certain signal, and I wave him off, and I wave him off, and I wave him off, and he says, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, and uh, we'll, we'll throw that pitch and see, um, see what it does for you. I want you to think about obedience. Um, as we look at the ten plagues here, this is uh, God talking through Moses, and he is going to start the first of the ten plagues. And then we're actually going to end with, um, we're actually going to end with the ninth of, we're not going to go actually into the Passover, but we're going to end with uh, the ninth plague in um, Exodus chapter 10. So this is, these are two passages from Exodus chapter 7 and uh, Exodus chapter 10. And I want you to think, okay, why do I obey? Like, what are my motivations for obeying God? Here we go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn, and he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down to the river. Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Then announce to him, The Lord, 
the God of the Hebrews has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand, and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt. All its rivers, canals, ponds, and all the reservoirs. Turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood. Even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. As Pharaoh and all his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly, the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died, and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. So then there's obviously plagues 2 through 8, and here we come, um, Exodus chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light, as usual, where the people of Israel lived. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. Go and worship the Lord, he said. But leave your flocks and herds here. You may even take your little ones with you. No, Moses said. You must provide us with animals for sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals. And we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more. I mean, hear that. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more, and he would not let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted at Moses. I'm warning you, never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied. I will never see your face again. So here, you know, two depictions of... um, uh, of these plagues. And, you know, when, when, you, when, when Pharaoh hears this message, right? Uh, when, when Pharaoh says this in Exodus chapter 5, he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's what triggers, triggers the plagues. So back in, in chapter 5, you know, and we read the execution of the first and the ninth plague. But the, the question, or Pharaoh's response to Moses was the trigger. Who is the Lord? that I should obey him. Have you ever asked that? Why would you obey God? Why? I mean, what, do you, what is your motivation for obedience? I mean, and, and what does, you know, a bunch of plagues here have for us this morning? You know, our motivations matter, and I think our motivations are, are multi-layered and multifaceted. Um, and when you think about these plagues, chapter 5 through chapter 10, you know, one through, you know, the, this, um, the Nile turns to blood. 
Um, God is saying to uh, this mystical river that, that the Egyptians think is um, it's, it's, it's God-like in its, in its presence because it feeds all of Egypt. Um, God is saying, you think the Nile River is a God um, that is powerful? Let me, let me show you how powerful it is. I'll turn it into blood. You won't even be able to use it all. You, you, think, um, you, you think the God Ra, the sun God, is powerful? Here's what I'll do. I will turn out the lights. I, I will make everything dark. You think, you think your gods are, are powerful? Let me show you that I am more powerful. You know, when, when you hear about these plagues, I think there are sometimes two responses to these plagues. Some people say, uh, wow, great. I love that, a God who smites the bad people. <laughs> Whew, go get them, God, right? And we kind of read it and like, that's great. And then the other response is, yep. You know, I read a passage like this, and this is exactly why I got out of institutional religion in the church and everything like that, because I hate this idea. I think it's dangerous to believe in a God uh, who is a God of judgment who strikes down unbelievers. Think about those two responses. I think they're both kind of superficial. They're both here on the surface, easy to say. The plagues come to answer the question, why should we obey God? We're going to look at three layers of what this says about about God. When you look at Pharaoh's response, who, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Some people think that Pharaoh was speaking as a religious atheist. He wasn't at all. Uh, Pharaoh was a religious pluralist. And I think a lot of us in America, we, we, we feel this, we, we like to talk that way. A pluralist is someone who says, well, you have your God and I have my God. Why in the world would you insist I should convert or, or obey or listen to your God? Um, this is Egypt and we have our gods and you have your God, so fine. Why should I ever obey yours? That's, you're being intolerant, right? You're, you're, I mean, that's, if you think about it, what an average American might say, I think that is completely uh, in line. Um, but as we see God, he's saying, no, no, no. Um, there's one God, and I'm greater. Um, and so the Nile River, blood, darkness, the sun God, I'm over that. Um, in uh, Exodus seven seventeen, it says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. For this time, he says, I will send all my plagues on you yourself so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. And I know this is a pretty general principle, but it is the, the, the first basic one, and it's this. Why do we obey God? We obey God because he is the one, true, almighty, sovereign, El Elyon, El, uh, El Roy, Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh. He is the one, true God, in the context of the Bible, he is saying, there is none like me um, in all the earth. I am bigger than all the other gods, and I am badder than all the other gods. And as just a basic truth, as a central truth, that is, what, that is one of the layers in which we need to see these plagues. God is greater than all other gods. He is the one true God. Why should you obey? Well, because he's he is God. He is the one true God. Are you at least a theist, right? 
If you're a theist in the room, why should we obey him? He is the one true God. Second reason. So not only is he is, is the biggest and strongest, most powerful God, he is what? He is um, a, a natural God. And I know that sounds kind of weird, right? Um, but I want you to think about the plagues. Because when you really look at the plagues, I think you'll see how unmiraculous they are. Follow me here. It's water into blood. And there's frogs, gnats, flies, diseased livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, Paso- or death of the firstborn. Now, think about this. The first plague is the Nile, and no one can drink of it. Um, and it, and it, in, if you actually looked at the literal text, it says it's turned to blood. God did something to the Nile that you couldn't use it, right? And there's a lot of debates. And if you read all the commentators, there's liberal commentators and there's conservative commentators, and they have differences of opinion on exactly what that means. But whatever exactly happened, here's what we know. It destroyed the ecosystem of the Nile. So what? Think of, think of the plagues, right? It destroyed the ecosystem of the Nile. Because the Nile River is smitten, it is undrinkable, it destroys the ecosystem of the Nile. So what? So zillions of what? Frogs come out of the Nile. Yeah, all right. They couldn't live there. Couldn't be there. They come out of the marshes. They're out of the river, into everything, into the beds, into the ovens, into wherever. Think about it. So the frogs come out. Now, all these frogs die then, right? And then you have what? Just zillions of rotting, stinking dead frogs. <laughs> Imagine that. Good. Welcome to Sunday, church. Right. Now, think of, now, now, that's the second plague. So as a result of the first plague, here comes the second plague. As a result of the second plague, what's the third plague? Because of all these dead, rotting carcasses, what? Gnats. That makes sense. Gnats. Flies, right? The third and fourth plagues come from the second, which comes from the first, right? What's the point? There are natural consequences. It's an ecological, right here, disaster. And then on top of that, what happens, right? Plagues five and six, what is the death of livestock and boils? It makes sense that an epidemic could destroy livestock and destroy people's skin. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. Right? There are natural consequences. Then there's the hailstorm, and then there's the locusts. If you think about what God was sending plagues, why did he do it this way? Couldn't he have done a better job and just said, hey, a pharaoh, I see those magicians, your three buddies, I'm going to zap them, and they're going to, they're going to just explode. Boom, gone, gone, gone. If you don't do what I say, Pharaoh, you're going to be zapped. I mean, why didn't God do that, right? Why, why, what, what is it about, um, what is it about the plagues? Why, why would he give us these plagues, right? I mean, he could have empowered Moses and had some awesome, awesome, you know, explosion or something. But, um, when you come, so we, we read the last part of Exodus 10 there, we read about the darkness. And when you think about, um, if you chart Pharaoh's response, it's about the ninth plague that Pharaoh begins to realize, oh, you know what? His response is different here in the ninth plague. It's like, oh, you know what? These aren't just natural disasters that kind of happen on one on the other. Something is going on here, Right? Um, there is darkness over us, but there's not darkness over Goshen. I can't explain that 
naturally. Because, I mean, there are all sorts of, uh, of natural disasters, and they were terrible, and they were devastating. But at some level, what? They were natural. If God, I believe, if God would have wanted to just make some unbelievable miracle, why did he set it up this way? And I think the plagues have a message to them. The actual plagues have a message. And I want you to think about the way in which creation happened. What does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says that the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God, right, hovered over it. Like, there was chaos, and there was, uh, and, and, and the world was without form. That, that's, that's, you know, pre-creation, right? Or pre-God speaking all the days of the week. And, and I want you to think about the plagues in Exodus 5 through 10, right? The plagues were not simply supernatural. Um, well, what is it? It's nature out of control. That's what the plagues are, right? It's nature run amok. It's nature breaking down. It's nature going crazy. It's nature devouring itself. That's what the plagues are. It's reverting back to what? Pre-creation. Chaos. Before the Lord spoke order into it, right? And so you have man and woman in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2. And, and they're this like beautiful, perfect interdependence there. And they're harmonious and they're coherent. And they're with one another. Um, and then when you look at Exodus 5 through 10, and I would challenge you to read that today. Just sit down and read Exodus 5 through 10. Imagine living in that in Egypt during that time. What would you think about the created order? Every single day, creation is what during this time? It's being undone, right? I mean, it is just being absolutely undone. Weather destroying the animals, right? Insects destroying the plants, and so on and so on. The earth was without form and void. The earth was chaotic, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And so what is God saying here in the plagues? At a, at a, at a, not just I am the one true God, but I am what? I am the natural God, the natural judge. My law, my power, my authority, God is saying, is not arbitrary. It's not arbitrary. Everything I tell you to do, Westtown, it's not an exercise of just naked power. What is it? Natural, every single time you disobey me, the consequences of when you disobey are natural. Um, because uh, when I speak to you about how I want you to live, it's the way I what? I designed you. So it's not just me trying to tell you I am the king and I just want you to know when I say don't steal that um, I am bigger and stronger than you are. Some people think that that's just what God wants to communicate to you. No. The... the the consequences of disobedience to God are what? Are natural because of the will of God. And when you disobey, the consequences are natural, right? You unleash all the forces of disorder in your life, right? Now imagine, an example of this might be, imagine you're a, 60, uh, a 60-year-old man and you have a heart attack, right? And you go to the doctor and, you know, you go to a cardiologist and the cardiologist looks at you, does a bunch of tests and says, hey, you know what? You really can't go to Five Guys anymore. You can't, right? I'm telling you what, you got that double with cheese like every Tuesday and Thursday, you can't do it, right? You have to stay away from Five Guys completely. You just had a heart attack, right? Cholesterol is everywhere. Um, now, can you imagine that guy saying to um, the doc, hey, 
what you just said to me is a, uh, it's just an expression of power of you over me. Doctor, you're trying to control my life. Can you imagine the six-year-old saying that to the doc? No, right? Um, how, about, how about this? Um, well, doc, if I go to five guys, because I have every week, twice a week, and I get a double with cheese, um, are you going to find me or will I get arrested? Right? And, you know, what? the answer is, of course, no. No, not at all. The doc has ordered you, has prescribed what? Has prescribed what she knows, what he knows is the natural, hey, way in which your body works. And if you eat those things, what? You are going to feel the consequences of it. I remember my third year seminary had a little um, stomach pain, which turned into an appendectomy. And... Um, my dad just told me it was a stomachache. He was a doc. He said, nah, you're fine. <laughs> One week later, I was in the operating room. <laughs> Thanks, pops. <laughs> um, but that's neither here nor there, but it's just funny to me. Um, so, so I get out, and I, mean, I, was in the hosp- I was in the hospital for like six days, and I was, you know, I had a big, I have a big scar right there, right on my muffin top right there, a uh, big scar right there. And, uh, you know, the doc says, I want you to go home, take it easy, and here's a bottle of Percocet. I never had Percocet before, right? <laughs> never. Um, and she said, uh, or yeah, she said, look, you only can uh, take, uh, take this really only when you need it um, or when you feel pain, when you feel pretty bad pain. And so I'm a little bit of a wuss, and so I, anything I felt, I took, right? And man, Percocet, wow. You know, that stuff is powerful. And I thought, wow, I can just kind of chill here. It's helpful to fall asleep. And um, I, I was off school for another week. And I remember thinking, yeah, you know what? Uh, maybe, maybe she would, no. Huh. I wonder if she would do a re-up of this thing because it feels really good. And she said, no, no, only do it when you feel pain. Now, why would she say that, right? Why would the doctor say that? Because the doctor knows that if I um, get addicted to that thing, right, that I will, I will make my life about having that chemical, right, euphoria or serenity through that pill, and it could take control of my life. That's why she said, only when you feel pain. Right, why would you not want me to feel that, doc? Because she knew, hey, you need to use it this way. If you violate a doctor's directives, right, what, what are you doing? You're just violating yourself, essentially, right? When you, um, when you trample on what your doctor says, what are you doing? You're only trampling on yourself, you know? And when you begin to think about God, well, unlike a doctor, you know, the doctor knows our physical fabric, but God created it. God doesn't know just about the physicality of your body. God knows um, your emotional fabric, your psychological fabric, right? The sociological fabric that you live in and, and the spiritual fabric that you live in. And when you obey God, it's not, as I said before, hey, I'm creating these rules just to show you that I'm stronger than you. He's trying to say, look, when I say something like, don't have any other gods before me, You can't just come to church and veg out. 
and say, well, I believe. No, no, you come there and you say, nothing is more important, right? I have to be more important than your family, than your job, than your, you know, your friends. Love the Lord your God with everything you, you have. Your identity must be built around me. That's the way he says that you and I are designed. His daughters and sons. But, you know, when, when we hear that command, right? The first command. What happens when you don't do it or I don't do it? I mean, what's God's response? I mean, th- does God say to us, well, that person's not living for me, right? I'll, I'm going to have him, you know, snap his femur tomorrow, right? I'm going I'm to put him in a little fender bender tomorrow. No, he doesn't say that at all. Um, what happens is you begin to feel disintegration. You begin to disintegrate. You begin to function, right, outside of what you've been uh, created for. I mean, what if you're a workaholic? I mean, if you're a workaholic, what's the first thing that goes? We know. Your family. When you, you know, when you take work and place it on the altar and say, okay, I will worship you, work, the family begins to um, fall apart. And then you begin to emotionally fall apart. And then physically, you begin to disintegrate. You're going back to what? To dust. What does what um, God say to Adam? By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it, you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. What he's saying is, I put you in a world. And the world was perfectly put together. I put you in a, in a world to what? To love you, to love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't live that way, you disintegrate. That, this is the natural consequences of not following, right? The big vertical and the horizontal. You will disintegrate. What, I mean, what do the scriptures say about relationships? Here's two, two things it says. If you're a Christian, it says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. What, you know, the friends we choose will change your life forever. If you choose the wrong type of friend, they will influence your life uh, in, in a corrupt way, and they could cause irreparable damage. How many of you have been in a relationship where you realize, nah, you know what, remember what Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals. I got in with this crowd, right, in college, or I got in this crowd at work, or I got in this crowd in junior high school, and you know what, everything changed, man. I mean, I started living for myself. And the Bible says, well, yeah. That's, that's a relational command. Make sure you have good friends. The other thing it says about friendships is this. Proverbs 27, 6. I mean, there's plenty of these. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What is that saying? Well, real friends tell the truth, even when it hurts, and it's not pleasant at the time. They tell the truth, so what? So we can grow from it. Paul said, I want you to speak truth in love, right? So a true friend tells the truth even if it risks the friendship. If you don't want to hear the truth, what happens? You leave them. I don't want to hear that. No, 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 you're not my friend. Friends only tell me what I want to hear, and so you push them away. And the Bible says that's right. And so look, you are making all these bad choices, and your friendships have disintegrated. You're not living as what? As the natural created order, pre-fall. You're not. Think about it in a large social, sociological way. I mean, how are we supposed to live in our society? I mean, what, what's the rule for that? Well, 
you can't think that you're superior to others, period. You can't think you're better than other people. The way you live is to be humble. That's what the scriptures say. And so Paul says, look, uh, there's no more Jew uh, or Gentile. There's no more male or female. There's no more slave or free. You got to take those things and this superiority, inferiority thing, you got to kill it. It's, it's destroying society. And we know that the, that's all throughout our society. And what do we experience? What are we experiencing right now? Civic disintegration. Political disintegration. Social disintegration. What, what is it saying? When you, when you see the plagues, that's a picture, right? Of disobedience. Egyptian disobedience. God is saying, look, if you disobey me, you unleash the forces of chaos. If you don't obey me, you know, creation begins to deconstruct. Everything, all the order, all the beauty, all this stuff begins to break down. And so when you think about judgment and God judging you on, on your disobedience, when you feel that, no. That's, that's the natural created order that's breaking down. And so when we see the plagues, it points us and it says, look, you know what the law is? Medicine. Obedience. When you read the Bible and you read the Ten Commandments, you know what that is? That's medicine, man. That is medicine that will cure you, that will reintegrate, that will reverse the curse of the fall. You, you can reverse it. So God, when you think about this, when you think about the way the orderliness or the disorderliness of the plagues, the world blown into chaos, right? The reversal of the created order. Here's what we know. Not only is he the one true God, we obey or submit to God's laws because as the architect, God, he is the only one who knows our design. And when we start doing things outside of our design, you know your world begins to fall apart. And so God is the one true God. God is the designer. There is a natural created order, but even more than that, sometimes those two motivations don't work, I know. Like, no, nah, well, that's not even enough for me to obey sometimes. I know what's going to happen, but I still, I'm going to have the burger. <laughs> I'm just going to do it. I need more motivation. I, I need, what is it? Where, you know? Well, I want you to think about um, God coming and the plagues judging um, Egypt. But I want you to think of God here as a saving judge. As, as the saving God who brings about what? Who brings about his purposes his way. So um, in chapter 9, it's weird. Um, if you read chapter 9, it's the uh, plague of hail. It's kind of weird. Because God says this. He says, I am going to send a plague of hail. And then he says this. This is weird. I mean, because if I'm going to send a plague and I'm going to show my power, I'm not going to do it at night, right? I'm going to do it at the daytime because I want to hear a little running. I want to hear a little screaming. You know, just freak people out. Kind of make me feel like, yeah, see, I am the man, right? Um, but here's what he says to the Egyptians. Listen. I'm sending a plague of hail, so get your cattle out of the field. Get your farmhands out of the field. Get them out, or they're going to be hurt. I mean, what kind of a judge is that? That's weird. I mean, I thought we want a lot of death, and we want a lot of destruction. Um, and he says, hey, you know, God 
um, is saying, no, 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 no. I know what it sounds like. It sounds like I'm pulling some punches here. It sounds like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. But here, what he says to me, and I think what he says to you is, no, you're missing the whole point. The whole point. The plagues have what? Ultimately, the plagues have been sent to save you. To save you. I mean, we know that they were sent to save the Hebrews, and we know that the plagues were going to be talked about for ages to show the power of God. But, you know, when you think about um, what God is doing to the Egyptians, here's what it says. If you read Exodus 5 through 10, sometimes it says, and so God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That's one. But, you know what it also says? And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it'll say, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then it'll say, but then Pharaoh, you know, hardened his own heart. You know what that reminds me of? A guy like Judas. Think about Judas the betrayer. What do we know about Judas? He was punished for betraying Jesus. But what do we know? His betrayal, it was foreordained and it was planned by God. But somebody had to betray Jesus. It was all part of the plan. And yet, Scripture says that Judas was responsible for what he did. What do we know throughout this? The judgment of God is ultimately to save us. What is this saying? It's saying God's plan, right, is going exactly as he's designed it, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give people, right, my plan, but hey, it's their responsibility, their choice. And so as we think about God here, God's approach to judgment is not salvation or judgment, but salvation through judgment. I want you to think about the, the uh, plague of darkness. And you think about um, what dark meant. It, it really meant the, the, the full deconstruction of, human, uh, of humanity. Right, the, the full-on chaos. That's what the plague of darkness meant. And, and, and so you go back to Genesis and you go to Exodus and you play ping pong a little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The spirit and it was crazy and crazy. And now it's the plague of darkness, which means it's fully deconstructed. Gnats, boils, everything is crazy. It's deconstructed. And, you know, Genesis 1 says, darkness was upon the face of the deep before creation um, started. And now darkness is across the land. And as you think about that, I want us to just throw a 50-yard pass because centuries later, what happened? Matthew 27, it says this. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, the earth shook and the rocks split. What's going on here? How does that in any way connect? Well, on the cross, Jesus became the enemy of God. On the cross, all the plagues of God's justice fell into him. On the cross, darkness, right? Pre-creation chaos came down on him and Jesus began to disintegrate because he was cut off from his father. Everything else about him disintegrated. He experienced absolute agony. Why would he do this? Well, it's because of why God sent the plagues. 
because this is the ultimate exodus. This is the exodus. The rod of God came down on Jesus, right? The plagues of God came down on Jesus. The darkness of God came down on Jesus. And as a result, you and I do not receive the plagues. He did it in our place. Jesus is the judge of all the earth. And so this crazy judge that we think is coming to judge us, what do we know? The third level of this whole story is this. It points to Jesus as our, as our judge. We obey. Why? Because the judge came to bear judgment, not to bring it. That's our Savior. All of this points to what Jesus did for us, right? Jesus is the maker of the world. That's what for, uh, John 1 says. Nothing was made except through him. But Jesus, when he came down, went to the cross. And so, when you think about it, the maker, our maker, was what? Was unmade on the cross so he could what? Remake you and remake me and forgive all of us. That is the game changer. And that's why Christianity is unique. That's why it's different than any, any other religion. So what motivation do you need? He is the one true God. Hey, he's got a design for us. Let's read the manual. And if that's not enough, look, he came, right? The judgment came, and he bore the judgment. He didn't come and bring the judgment to you. He bore it for you. That's my Jesus. And that's what uh, God's judgment came, to make all things new. So where are you this morning? Why would you obey? Why? What kind of God is your audience, right? What kind of God is your audience? I think if we see these layers, man, um, there's all kinds of motivation for us to say, you know what? Like David said, your law, your, your rules, God, your word is honey. And I can taste it and it's so sweet and I just want to keep eating it. What? Okay. Uh, soft answer turns away wrath. Okay, good. Uh, don't steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New heavens and new earth. Don't commit adultery. Okay, new heavens and new earth, right? Remember the Sabbath day. That's right. Give. Be generous. That's right. Let's, let's bring heaven down to earth and stop the chaos and bring the form and bring the order. Where are you this morning? Please make this personal. Please do something different. Think and then act because of what he's done for uh, us. I think we'll change. We can see these pictures of Moses and they point to Jesus. They point to what he did for us. So let's pray and ask that God would work in our hearts Father God, that you would take the plagues, that you would take um, boils and frogs and gnats and the punishment and the judgment that came to Egypt, that you would take that for me so that I can be remade. Father, so that I can now taste morsels of a land that you say flows with milk and honey and then one day know that I will be in the consummated new heavens and new earth. And everything's going to be perfect. The lion's going to be lying down with the lamb and the kid's going to be playing with the cobra. And everything will be perfect and serene. Thank you for that truth. We look forward to that, God. Give us these Old Testament narratives as they point to you. Give, give them as little engines for us to just want to put one step, one foot in front of the other and follow you. Father, we thank you for obedience.
We thank you for your law and your rules and your handbook in Scripture. May we follow it. And God, may we bring order. May we bring form to this world that we know feels so chaotic. It feels so undone. God, make us. We love you and we need you in your name. Amen.